Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be breaking down Season 9, Episode 14 of 90 Day Fiancé Temperature Check. The episode opens with Emily and Kobe. Ever since Kobe and Emily found out about the pregnancy a few weeks ago, Emily feels guilty about keeping the secret from her mom and dad, who she lives with. So there's a tense vibe going on, especially considering the one thing her dad asked of Kobe and Emily was not to get pregnant under their roof. Kobe is trying his wedding attire with Emily and her dad in tow. Emily is having complicated feelings about her pregnancy because she would like to have more kids, but she isn't happy with the timing. Yet, all she did to prevent the pregnancy was rely on her ovulation app, even though she claims she had birth control pills in her possession. Her excuse for not taking them is Kobe told her he doesn't want her on birth control because he has heard it becomes difficult for women who use the pill to conceive when they decide they want to. It doesn't matter what Kobe's thoughts are, it's Emily's body and it's her responsibility and her choice what she does with herself and her body. Kobe says, considering the fact that he can't work right now and he's living in Emily's father's house and they're holding onto the secret, Kobe is worried. He is so worried and so stressed and it's very heavy for him to keep this secret. Emily insists they aren't telling her parents before the wedding. Emily says it will put more stress on them And they put a lot of money into Emily's wedding and she wants them all to have a good time and then they can tell her parents after the wedding. Kobe doesn't seem to prefer keeping this secret till after the wedding and you can see the guilt and the shame in his eyes as he rolls his eyes frustratedly and he nods his head no as Emily is making her case for waiting to inform her parents of her pregnancy till after the wedding. I think Emily selfishly wants a dream wedding like she pictured in her mind. And if she tells her parents pre-wedding the news that she's pregnant, she knows they maybe won't pay for it or maybe they won't attend the wedding or they may be pissed and disappointed in Emily. And that would throw a wrench in Emily's perfect wedding dream. I personally can understand wanting her parents to enjoy the celebration But frankly, I personally myself wouldn't be able to enjoy the wedding with that weight on my shoulders. And I wouldn't be able to keep that secret or lie to my parents about it either. It would be like an enormous burden on my heart and it would make me feel heavy to the point where even if I was the bride, I wouldn't be able to enjoy my wedding at all. I'd have to tell my parents and I would have to tell them before the wedding for sure. Even if my parents would be disappointed in me, I'd just rather be honest and open and give them time to process the news instead of having them have this wonderful, great time at the wedding, enjoy the wedding, and then dropping this bomb on them right after. I think that if Emily does it this way, waiting till after the wedding, her parents will look back and they're not going to remember the wedding and the happy time. They're going to remember the bomb Emily dropped not the wedding. That's just my take. Emily is worried the groomsmen's outfits haven't arrived yet because Kobe ordered them from China. 
Kobe is slightly annoyed and he tells Emily he told her already on the way over to the tuck shop that the suits were already on the way to Salina. They're in the mail. Emily says she and Kobe have been trying to play it cool lately, but things have been super stressful. There has been more bickering since they found out that she was pregnant. Emily's dad mentions that he doesn't even know who Kobe's groomsmen are, and Emily doesn't know either. Kobe explains there are two other guys, Pascal and Sam, coming from Ohio, and Temperature is already in town for the impending ceremony. Temperature is at a local hotel, so Kobe is going to hang out with him tonight. And Emily seems surprised. She asks, he's here? Kobe confirms his friend is here and he's here a week early to see who this person is that his friend is getting married to. Emily's dad jokes and he says he thought Kobe was talking about the weather. Emily asks in an annoyed tone if temperature is here right now. And again, Kobe confirms, yes, he's here. He is here. And Emily informs Kobe she thought they were doing wedding stuff tonight. And Kobe is annoyed. He is muttering, oh my God, under his breath. Temperature is one of Kobe's closest friends who lives in Ohio. And now that the wedding is just one week away, it's pretty chaotic for Kobe and Emily. So Emily is surprised that Kobe's friends showed up a few days early. Emily's dad tries to lighten the mood. He asks Kobe how Temperature got his name, and he's curious. Kobe doesn't know how Temperature got his name, but when Kobe met him, everybody was calling him Temperature. And Kobe says Temperature is a nice guy, and he thinks Emily's dad would really like him. Emily is pissed about Temperature being there early and Kobe wanting to go spend the night hanging out with him. Emily tells Kobe to go change since he has a date tonight and she can go home and plan the wedding by herself. And she's having an attitude and being very smug, of course. Kobe has been in Salina for over two months and this is Kobe's first friend he has seen in America. Temperature is like a brother to Kobe and Kobe has so much going on in his mind so he needs to spend some time talking with his friend. He feels like he's home with Temperature, like he has a brother he can talk to. Temperature asks how Kobe's white woman is back home. And Kobe tells Temperature Emily is wife material. But she has a nasty attitude. She always wants to control everything. And she feels like she is always right. Temperature tells Kobe that's America and it's not like it is in Cameroon. Back in Ohio, Temperature has seen so many families where the men live in the houses as if they are ladies and they have no say. He tells Kobe it's madness. Temperature came to the U.S. through the visa lottery process and he's been in the U.S. for over a year. Temperature says being in the U.S. he has noticed that's the way Americans work and their culture. Temperature thinks Kobe needs to step up and start controlling Emily like the man and not the other way around. And Kobe says there's a bigger issue than that. Something that is eating him up right now. Kobe says Emily doesn't want him telling anyone that she is pregnant, 
but he trusts temperature. So he needs to relieve himself from this load he's been carrying. It's just too heavy. It's just too much keeping this secret. Kobe tells temperature Emily is pregnant again. Temperature just shakes his head in disbelief. Kobe admits he doesn't even have money, he's not working, and they're living in Emily's father's house. Kobe says there's so much going on right now. Temperature says with those two kids living in a city like Salina, Kobe is the only African around and he has nobody there for him so it won't be easy. So temperature suggests that there are lots of African people and a big African community in Columbus, Ohio where Temperature lives and he tells Kobe it's a good community and Kobe can have many connections there and he can provide everything that his family needs as well. Temperature thinks Columbus would be good for Kobe and Kobe wishes he could do that but he says Emily is stubborn so Kobe doesn't think Emily would move so far away from her parents. Temperature says the moment Kobe starts embracing the culture in America, America will be the worst place Kobe will ever think of. Kobe says temperature is making a lot of sense. He says he has been too dormant in his relationship with Emily, and he says temperature awakened the African man spirit in him. Kobe realized he needs to wake up and be the man he used to be. Temperature tells Kobe he believes it's time for Kobe to tell Emily he's a man. And Kobe agrees. That is it, he says. I have a lot to say about Temperature and his thoughts on gender roles and American culture. Oh, Temperature said some things I found to be deeply problematic. I think the issue is Temperature was raised in another culture, and that culture is ingrained in him. And it seems to be a culture with a very strict gender role idea very strict gender roles where women are expected to be submissive and malleable and the man wears the pants and controls everything and the woman has no voice or a lesser voice than the man. Maybe that's how they do things in Cameroon and if Temperature and Kobe prefer the way things are done in Cameroon, that's fine. But they cannot expect that to happen in America with an American woman. Men and women should have equal power, in my opinion. They should have equal power and voice in a relationship. It's very important. No man, for example, will ever lead me, and I also wouldn't want to lead another man or be in control. Overall, relationships, in my opinion, are about give and take and compromise, and communication, of course. It's never about one person having more control or power over the other then that's toxic and unhealthy. Both the man and the woman in a heterosexual relationship need to compromise and both people need to understand both of their voices should matter equally and hold equal weight and both parties should be willing to compromise for the other. It's not about getting your way if you're the man or getting your way if you're the woman. And in a fair, unconditional relationship, both the man and woman's voice are heard and taken into consideration and both parties might get some of what they wanted in a situation if they compromised. As far as the men living at home like women having no say, there are abusive toxic relationships where the man is the controller and that is equally as toxic as when the woman is the controller. If a person in a relationship expects to control the other person because of their fucked up ideas about gender roles 
or their own personal insecurities or trust issues, it isn't going to be a relationship complements your life or adds to your life in a positive way. It will just be a relationship that drains your energy and sucks you dry. Good relationships uplift you, they fulfill you, they bring you love and positivity. And a relationship based on unconditional love isn't about control. If you aren't your partner's equal and they don't value your opinion as their equal and they view you as someone lesser to control or to submit to them, whether you are a man or a woman, you should run. It's interesting how malleable Kobe is and how easily swayed he is by his friend. His friend gave him advice that will worsen his relationship with Emily. And it might be how they do things in Cameroon, but in my opinion, that's toxic masculinity. And if Kobe goes to Emily and he's domineering and he shows her he is the man, as Temperature put it, good luck. American women aren't going to be submissive to a man. And if Emily's dad sees the African man spirit awakened in Kobe, whatever that means, and he is disrespectful to Emily or overly assertive and domineering in front of Emily's dad in Emily's dad's house, good luck. Most fathers don't want a domineering asshat for their daughters. Next up are Bilal and Shida. Shida wants to go to the cafe, but Bilal is working and she asks him to take some time away to accompany her to the cafe. She wants to talk. She spoke to her lawyers and she wanted to know that the contract, the prenup, was fair when it comes to her. The lawyer says there may be a few things that he thought were questionable. Shida asks if the prenup, as is, is something the lawyer would allow his own daughter to sign, and he says no. Shida's lawyer reviewed the prenup, and he told her there were some things in it that needed to be altered. And Shida says if she is ever going to sign a prenup, it will be on conditions. Bilal agrees to join Shida at the coffee shop, and he says there's no work for him, so he guesses he'll make money later, just so they can talk. Bilal says, anytime he hears, let's have a talk, it's usually not a good thing. The wedding is just a few weeks away, and he and Shida still aren't seeing eye to eye regarding the prenup. Bilal says he doesn't think there's anything else they need to talk about. Shida tells Bilal she met with her attorney, and he's from back home. And he's also her personal family friend, so he's well-trusted. Shida says she trusted Bilal, but she was also looking out for herself, as she should. I'm so glad that she's consulting a lawyer and having her own back. Bilal is 100% fine with it. He says Shida knows him. She knows what he's about. She knows what he has done for her. And he thinks his track record speaks for itself in relation to how Shida reacted to the prenup. Shida realizes with the prenup and American culture that Americans are business-oriented. They love love, but they put business first. Shida says for her, when she first came to America, she felt it was a storybook love, a Cinderella love. Bilal informs Shida that Cinderella love never exists. Bilal says the Cinderella stuff, love, is built over time, but you also have to be smart. Shida says her lawyer mentioned that the contract 100% protects Bilal. Shida asked her attorney if he thinks she should include things in the prenup, like having children at a certain time 
as well as Bilal assisting her to start her business in Kansas City. And her attorney said, yes, she should add amendments to the prenup because the prenup 100% protects Bilal. So he suggested that Shida needs to also protect herself should anything happen. Her attorney advised her to amend the prenup, but that she also has to be clear. So for example, if Bilal is going to help Shida start a business, the prenup has to be clear that what she owns remains solely hers. Shida says that money she makes is her money, and if she and Bilal should divorce in the future, it would stay her money, and Bilal would have no claim to it. Bilal questions if that would be the case, even if they establish her business after they are married, and also with Bilal's help. Shida says, of course, she and Bilal would do business together. They're getting married. But because it's her brand and her yoga, she wants to view that as her real estate, just like Bilal's real estate business, is his company for himself and his kids alone. Bilal says the reason his real estate company is just his is because he built that business. But Shida's yoga business would need startup capital coming from him and help coming from him. And Bilal is willing to help and do all of those things. Shida says if the shoe was on the other foot and she saw Bilal having his brand and he lived most of his years in another country and she saw him leaving behind his country and his source of income to come to the U.S. to make a life with her for her, she would help him. She says hell yeah she would help him. Bilal says if things didn't work out and she helped somebody like him in her example and he did well and he was very successful with the business that he established with her help, it would be like saying it's all of his money and she, as the person who helped him, would get nothing. And that's what Shida is asking of Bilal. Shida says the prenup is one-sided, so if Bilal says she has to sign the prenup, there are certain things she wants, like Bilal has to set up her business. She gave up so much to come to the U.S. and she is prepared to walk away if Bilal doesn't see things the way she does. Shida asks Bilal if the lawyer comes back with the prenup and he puts any more changes in it, if Bilal is going to sign it. Bilal seems hesitant, but he says he'll consider it. I think the prenup should be fair for both parties and it's a good thing Shida got an attorney. Next up are Ari and Binny. The 90 days are almost up and Ari is super anxious. There is no option to extend the K-1 visa. They can't add any more time to those 90 days. So Binny and Ari need to have a wedding in place. So both Ari and Binny are biding their time, preparing for the big day, while also deciding if they are actually going to get married or go their separate ways. With just 15 days to wed, Ari is trying dresses with her mom. She has Leandro on video chat to show him the dress. She wishes he would come to her wedding, and she tells Leandro he's her best friend, and she asks if he could delay his flight for a day. Leandro apologizes. He really wanted to go to Ari's wedding, but he doesn't think it's possible. So... Leandro can bring Ari Braz to Ethiopia, but he can't make it to her big day. With just 11 days to wed, Ari and Binny are at the temple checking out the hoopah. Ari says they're going through the motions to plan this wedding, but in the back of her head, she isn't sure they will get married. 
Benny is using a sewing machine to tailor Avi's pants for the wedding. He still isn't sure that the wedding is happening though because he and Ari are still fighting. Benny says he and Ari are completely different people. He says he and Ari are like sky and earth. It's an Ethiopian saying. There are problems between him and Ari because of their different cultures and their different religions. Benny loves the relationship. He's working on it and he doesn't want to give up, but he isn't sure Ari will marry him. He says if he isn't married in the 90-day time frame for the K-1 visa, he will have to go back home to Ethiopia, leaving behind Ari and baby Avi. Benny doesn't want to lose Avi. He already lost his mom and dad when he was younger in a car accident, and he lost his first son when his first wife left and took their son back to the States while Benny was under the impression they were only leaving for a vacation and they'd be back and they were never to return again after they left. Benny says it's so painful. Ari feels defeated because since they've been in the U.S., she and Benny haven't made that much progress in fixing the issues in their relationship. Ari thought if Benny saw where she came from, he would be able to understand her better, but she feels like they have become more distant since getting to the U.S. On one hand, Ari loves Benny, but love is not enough, and there is a lot of pressure to make the right decision. Ari says, seeing Avi and Benny together, they have an amazing bond, and Benny is such a great dad, and it reminds Ari what's important to her. Avi brought Ari and Benny together, and Avi is the biggest reason that Ari and Benny decided to overcome the difficult problems they had in the relationship. What Ari and Benny both want the most is to see Avi happy. But thinking that this could be one of the last times that Ari would see Avi and Benny together if they don't get married, it makes Ari realize that she wants to keep her family together, and that's what is most important to her. Ari tells Avi the pants Benny made him will look so cute on him at their wedding. Ari lets Benny know they've been together a long time now, and she knows they always fight, but they always love each other. Benny says he knows they fight many times, but he is trying his best to save this family. Benny says Ari gave him Avi, and she is the one. She makes him happy. She brings back his smile. Ari says she never thought she cared that much about having her own family, but now that she has her own family, she has the best family. Ari says she is always a logical person, so sometimes she thinks she and Benny are so different and they have had so many problems, so many issues especially with communication because they have different spirits. But one of the reasons they have such a happy baby is because Benny, Avi's father, is always making him laugh and he sees the world in a positive way. Ari says if Benny disappeared from Avi's life all of a sudden, things would be very quiet and very dark. Ari tells Benny he is a light for her and for Avi. It's so cute and adorable. This was a really sweet moment. Avi pushes Benny and Ari's heads together because he wants them to kiss. And it is the sweetest, most adorable thing I have ever seen. Next up are Patrick and Thais. They've got just 28 days to wet. And Thais finally decides to call her dad after all the arguing between herself and Patrick. She's going to finally break the news. 
Patrick is excited because he plans on being with Thais forever, and that means Patrick will be a part of Thais's family forever. So he wants Thais's dad's respect. Patrick says he would have felt horrible if he and Thais got married without her dad knowing. I thought earlier Patrick said if she doesn't tell her dad, he would refuse to marry her. And now he's backpedaling, saying he'd marry her regardless, but he would feel horrible about it. I wouldn't want to be with anyone personally who wasn't proud to announce they were marrying me to their parents. Patrick asks Thais if she wants him to be with her for the call to break the news of their impending nuptials, since Patrick hasn't seen Thais's father in a while. He has no clue. Thais's dad basically hates him. He thinks, based on previous episodes, that Thais's dad likes him since they've had beers together and he bought him a Father's Day gift once. Thais is opposed to Patrick sitting in on the call, of course. She tells Patrick she thinks he will get in the way. Patrick suggests they try to call her dad together, and if Thais wants Patrick to leave and give her privacy, he'll go upstairs. Thais should tell her dad, but it felt kind of overbearing when Patrick kept insisting on making the call with Thais initially, then giving her privacy if she needs it. Seems to me that Thais clearly prefers to make this phone call alone, and if she prefers to make the phone call alone, I think that Patrick should be giving her the space to make the call alone, if that's what she prefers, and then join in after her and her father have spoken. Thais is nervous. She still doesn't feel ready to tell her dad, but Patrick doesn't understand that. Thais insists she was trying to do what was best for herself and for Patrick because her dad doesn't like Patrick. It's the most difficult thing Thais has ever had to do. Her dad is her best friend. She wouldn't have wanted to hide things from him, ever. She didn't tell him that she was marrying Patrick and moving to the U.S. permanently because she is sure that if she asks her father for permission, he'll say no. But now it's time to tell him. Thais explains to her dad that she is nervous because she is getting married this month. Her dad literally flinches when he hears the news before he even responds verbally. He isn't happy. All he says is one word. He asks, already? Frustratedly? Thais says, yeah, already. Patrick explains for Thais to stay in the U.S. with the visa They have 90 days to get married. Her dad just says, he kind of grunts. It's not even a word. Patrick says, finally, Thais told her dad that they were getting married. And all he said in response to that was one word already. Patrick knew immediately Thais's dad wasn't happy. And Patrick says it's hard hearing that. He asks Thais at this point if she prefers that he leaves the call so her and her father can talk amongst themselves. Patrick says he wanted to be there for the call to explain his side of things and to try to get his two cents in. But Patrick realized it wasn't his place and he had to let Thais handle it. Thais explains to her dad that for her, it's better to get married now because she can marry Patrick and she can get her green card and she can travel and go to Brazil, she can work, she can do whatever she wants then. Otherwise, she has to end her relationship with Patrick and return to Brazil without ever seeing Patrick again. Her dad gives 
No response. He's silent. He looks so disappointed. So Thais asks her dad if he's listening. He asks how Thais has the audacity to stay there all this time. And now all of a sudden she tells him she's getting married. Thais explains she didn't know if she wanted to marry Patrick. Patrick is in the garage giving Thais and her father space. And he texts John to meet him in the garage where he is having a beer. He tells John Thais is telling her dad. Thais's dad tells her she should have told him from the beginning because he doesn't think she should marry Patrick. He calls Patrick that American over there. He doesn't refer to him by name and he says he already doesn't like Patrick very much. He says he hasn't had time to get to know Patrick yet and Thais says she came to the U.S. specifically for this to take the 90 days to find out if she wants to marry Patrick or not. Thais's dad asks if in 90 days you can know someone. Thais explains she and Patrick have been together for two years and it's been a year since they were engaged. Her dad just responds with a sigh. Her dad just says, mmm, a lot. In response, he's barely putting together words. He is so upset and disappointed and blindsided by this news. Thais reminds her dad that... She and Patrick got engaged in Mexico. Thais asks her dad if he forgot about that, and he says, of course not. John meets Patrick in the garage at this point, and John asks if Patrick just took off during Thais' conversation with her dad. And Patrick explains he wanted Thais and her dad to talk about this privately. John asks if Patrick knows how the conversation is going, but Patrick has no clue. Patrick can hear Thais in the garage, but not what her dad is saying. Patrick admits to John Thais's dad's initial reaction was shock. John says her dad probably thinks Patrick is the asshole who is marrying his daughter without his consent and without him knowing. John doesn't see it that way, but he thinks that Thais's dad might. Patrick wanted to say things to Thais's dad, He didn't get to say. He wants to let him know he loves Thais. Thais insists her dad will get to know Patrick better and he will see Patrick is a good person. Her dad insists maybe it's just Patrick's intention to deceive her. Thais tells her dad she doesn't think so. He says people are complicated and no one knows what's inside someone else's head. He says with Americans... What we see in the newspaper or on the news isn't good. He says Patrick could pretend to be the good guy, then become bad. Thais insists Patrick is a good guy, and her dad will see it. She tells him Patrick does everything for her. Her dad says when people want to conquer, they do everything. He tells Thais she will fall on her face and regret it later. He says getting married is easy and getting divorced is a lot of work. He asks Thais if she gets it. And Thais says yes, she knows. She says there's a part of her that agrees with her dad. Because considering Patrick's behavior lately with controlling things and making decisions on his own, that isn't the man she fell for in Brazil. Patrick is different in the U.S. Her dad says to leave so many good people in Brazil to get a guy on the other side of the world far away 
doesn't make sense. And he thinks Thais should return to Brazil. He suggests she leave it all and come back as soon as possible. Thais says there's a part somewhere inside her asking her to return. But at the same time, she wants to stay. And it's hard to know what to do. And right now, she doesn't know. Next up are Eve and Muhammad. They've got 43 days to wed. Muhammad says he was mad and upset last night. And Eve looks like she was crying all night after their big fight. She clears her throat awkwardly as she enters the kitchen to get Muhammad's attention. Eve asks if they can have a better day than yesterday. Muhammad doesn't respect Eve. And Eve is way too caught up in the fairy tale and having this wedding. So much so that she is trying to salvage something beyond repair. I don't think there was really anything there in the first place. If it was me, Muhammad would have been gone the first night when he complained about the bidet not being ready to his liking. But if I had stuck it out, which I never would, I'd be handing Muhammad his plane ticket back to Egypt, frankly, this morning. Muhammad says he hopes today is better than yesterday. Eve explains she and Muhammad had an argument and he told her he was going to find a new sponsor because he didn't feel like Eve was getting the paperwork done in a timely manner. And that hurts Eve's feelings. That Muhammad doesn't care how much the wedding ceremony means to her. Obviously, this woman is all the way in the pool and Muhammad has just dipped his baby toe in. And the only thing he is invested in is his green card. And Eve would be stupid at this point to want a wedding with someone who doesn't actually love her, who isn't invested in her. Imagine how much more hurt feelings Eve will have when she figures out her desperation allowed her to ignore the obvious red flags. And she allowed a controlling man who is using her to swindle her for the green card based on her desperation. And she married him. And now she has to divorce him and be responsible for Muhammad in the process. In my opinion, Eve needs to cut her losses and be honest with herself. There's a time to live in la-la land and daydream about fairy tales. And there's a time to live in reality and accept it. And now is that time. Eve hopes this is not a pattern that's occurring of Muhammad wanting to have control over what she does and when she does it. She hopes... Has she not seen all the other instances when Muhammad tried to control her behavior, what she wore, what she did, what she ate or drank to some extent, who she's allowed to be in a room with? It's a pattern for sure. But Eve wants the idea of love she holds in her mind so much, she will bulldoze and ignore every red flag. And that's sad because Eve deserves better than Muhammad. And it's better to be alone than to be with a man who doesn't see you and accept you and love you unconditionally as you are. Eve tells Muhammad it wasn't intentional to delay the wedding, and she hugs Muhammad and tells him she understands he was mad. She babies Muhammad and coddles him to please him, but in confessional, she is verbalizing she hopes Muhammad doesn't have a pattern of controlling her. Why can't she say that directly to Muhammad? And she has said it, but not assertively and directly. 
And even if she does, I don't think it will matter. Muhammad is Muhammad, and that's not going to change. And he is in it for the green card, not for Eve. This man needs a plane ticket. I don't understand why Eve is apologizing and groveling to Muhammad. I think it's very weird. I understand that Eve is a people pleaser, but she has to have boundaries too. Eve is reassuring Muhammad she didn't delay things on purpose. It's out of her control. Muhammad tells Eve he was upset because he thinks they could get married earlier and then they would have time and they wouldn't be stressed out. Eve says she understands that Muhammad feels like he has put his life on hold and it's been a big sacrifice for him. She says they waited two years to be together and they don't want to give up on each other. She doesn't want to give up on Muhammad and Muhammad doesn't want to give up on that green card and he probably figured out he can't get another sponsor. At this point, Eve is almost intentionally ignoring the red flags. Eve tells Muhammad she never wants to look into his eyes and see that much anger as she did yesterday. She says that was awful. And all Muhammad says is, okay, and I'm sorry, with no emotions, nothing. Eve's friend, Tatiana, has an appointment with Eve at work for a session, and it's a nice opportunity to catch up. Tatiana asks if they checked out the venue, and Eve says, it's gorgeous. And Tatiana asks if Muhammad liked it. Eve says Muhammad was excited, but she doesn't know if it was overwhelming for him. Tatiana asks if Muhammad was just all quiet when he saw the venue, and Eve says a little. That man wasn't excited. He was annoyed to be there, and he couldn't care less. He wasn't excited. He wasn't happy to be there. He wasn't invested in it. He didn't want to be there. Eve tells Tatiana she got hurt by Muhammad getting upset because he didn't think she was taking submitting his paperwork seriously. Eve explains she told Muhammad it wasn't her fault. She had to reschedule and Muhammad freaked out and told her he would get another sponsor. Eve explains she is the petitioner so Muhammad can't go get another sponsor. Tatiana thinks it's mean that Muhammad referred to Eve as his sponsor. And Eve acknowledges it was super mean. Tatiana says that just makes Eve feel like she is replaceable and Muhammad could just pick someone else to marry. Eve's friend says if it takes 90 days to figure out Muhammad is a jackass, that's important to fully have that time for Eve. And Eve says sometimes when they get pissed off, they say certain things they don't mean. Eve says it still feels kind of raw and she feels hurt by the fight, but Muhammad apologized and she's trying to be understanding and understand more about his feelings. Tatiana tells Eve she is glad they discussed it and that they're in a better place, but she thinks what Muhammad said is a crazy thing to say before they get married. Eve agrees, but she interjects that Muhammad has an amazing, kind soul and heart and Theron accepts Muhammad. So she wants Muhammad to see her friends in that light and for her friends to accept Muhammad and see his heart. Eve is a people pleaser and I think she can be somewhat of a pushover and she is going to willingly allow Muhammad to walk all over her as she plays mental gymnastics to justify Muhammad's behavior and to ignore all the red flags. Tatiana asks if Muhammad wants to see them all again. He asks what Muhammad has to say about it. 
Eve says she would like her friends and Muhammad to get together again. Tatiana wants to know who Muhammad hates the most. She tells Eve to tell her, but Eve won't tell who that person is, and she starts laughing. She says the initial meeting with the squad didn't go over well, especially with Muhammad. She thinks there was a lot of culture shock for him during that first meeting. I personally think it's a little cringe for Eve to refer to her friends as the squad. Eve says if Muhammad can't get along with the squad before the wedding, it's going to be difficult because she isn't willing to lose her friends. So that will be an issue that could be detrimental to the relationship if Muhammad and Eve's friends don't get along. I wonder if the main reason Eve is accepting Muhammad is based on the fact that Theron likes him and Muhammad and Theron get along and Muhammad can watch Theron. I thought Muhammad was sweet with Theron, but I think it's possible that could be a manipulation tactic to win Eve over knowing how invested she is in her son and how much that matters to her, how much it tugs on her heartstrings. We also know that Muhammad complained about having to babysit Theron, especially because it's a woman's job. He said he didn't come to the U.S. to be a babysitter. It's woman's work. He can't even go on walks or take bike rides because Theron needs 24-7 supervision. It's the one way Muhammad can contribute to Eve and the household after all she sacrifices for him. And Muhammad complains about doing it even though it's the one and only thing he can do for Eve in return for everything she has done for him. And I think Eve believes, because her son is special needs, that she won't find a man to love and accept her as she is and to love and accept Theron. And I think there are men out there who will love Eve and love Theron as they are. And if not, I'd rather be alone and have freedom than to accept a man who is marrying me for a green card, not because they love me as I am. Next up are Jibri and Miona. They've got 20 days to wed. Jibri says, ever since the family dinner where he expressed his doubts about Miona, he has avoided speaking with his mom about the wedding. He knows his mom has concerns, but no amount of therapy or therapy kung fu, as Jibri puts it, will change his decision. Jibri's mom is working late, so Jibri meets her at her office to talk. Jibri's mom wanted to clarify some things about the conversation she had with Miona recently. Mahala explains, Miona said they were getting married. Mahala says Jibri has told her he isn't sure he's making the right decision or that it's what he wants. And Jibri and his mom haven't spoken since then, So Mahala doesn't know what has gone on between her son and Miona that made him come to this decision to get married. Jibri says he's going to marry Miona and it's hard for him to say to his mom because it hurts that she is worried about him and she isn't as confident in his decision. Jibri doesn't want to live with regrets. Jibri hopes his mom's red flags and warnings that she has given him aren't right. But Jibri admits, most of the time, his mom is right. Jibri feels that he is in a hard position right now, and he doesn't feel like it should be this hard. He wants his mom to be happy about this. But he thinks they don't feel he is ready for marriage, which makes him not feel ready because he doesn't have his parents' support. Jibri knows he loves Miona, but it's a difficult decision he is making to marry her 
when his family is not in it with him. Mahalo wants to know from Jibri why he wants to marry Miona. Jibri says he's going to marry Miona because he loves her. He says he's the one who proposed. He's the one who wanted Miona to come to the U.S. Mahala says it's good to hear because she isn't sure she has heard Jibri say that yet. Jibri says he believes Miona loves him. Jibri doesn't know if Miona will hurt him or not in the future, but it's a risk he is willing to take. Mahala says okay. She's feeling deeply sad because she thinks Jibri still doesn't know what he wants. But she was glad to hear that Jibri loves her and that he believes Miona loves him. But that was one sentence. And she says the rest of it was Jibri saying, I owe Miona. I brought her here. I'm the one that proposed. So now I have to follow through with it. That's what Mahalo was hearing. And she says, that's not a reason to get married. And she says, this is painful. Jibri tells his mom his plan right now is to go to California and they might as well get married where they will be at and LA is the destination for them. So they might as well get married there and build their life together there. Jibri tells his mom he feels bad because he feels like he is disappointing her. Jibri doesn't want this to come between he and his mom and their wonderful relationship. His mom tells him she doesn't want him worrying about him and her and she wishes him the best. Next up are Kara and Guillermo. They've got just one day to wed, and Guillermo is FaceTiming his mom. He tells her he's super nervous because tomorrow is the big day. Guillermo says, last night when he and Kara got home, everything was really weird. It's not the page Guillermo thought he was going to be on, and it worries him a lot because he doesn't know what will happen in the future. So Guillermo feels he needs to talk with his mom because she will give him the best advice or make him feel better. Guillermo's mom wants to be sure the camera will be in a good place at the wedding so she can watch the wedding on a live stream with the family back home. They're going to be watching the wedding on TV together. Guillermo wants his whole family to feel like they were a part of the wedding even from afar. He tells his mom it's a little bit hard that the family won't be there at the wedding in person. He still can't wrap his head around it. His mom didn't want to mention anything because his wedding will be one of the most important days of Guillermo's life. She doesn't want the day to be stained with sadness that his family isn't present. He is going to put an empty space in the first row for his brother who recently passed and his mom breaks down when Guillermo mentions this understandably. Guillermo feels good that his family will be able to watch the wedding, but at the same time, him having questions a day before his wedding makes him feel insecure. He talks to his mom about it, and he tells her he had questions for Kara, especially because he went to get a haircut and he was talking to his stylist, and he told her about the relationship he has with Kara. Guillermo tells his mom Kara is bossy, telling him no all of the time. He tells his mom his stylist told him that whatever problems you have in a relationship, it's better to fix them before getting married because the stylist says once people marry, there's nothing else to change and there's no motivation to change. His mom says if there is something her son needs to tell Kara, it's best he does it now. But they also need to talk after marriage as well because there will always be things or habits either Guillermo or Kara could acquire 
after marriage. It could be something new that comes up rather than something from the past. Guillermo explains yesterday at dinner he had questions for Kara and she was bothered by him bringing up the subject two days before the wedding. Guillermo felt nervous and he made Kara feel as if he felt unsure about marrying her, that he had doubts. Guillermo's mom assures Guillermo that doubts are normal. She says since Guillermo met Kara, he always knew how she was and she has a happy spirit. Guillermo says Kara is wild and Guillermo's mom says if Kara wants to go out with her friends, it's free will. And Guillermo has to let her go out and Kara has to do the same for him. Guillermo's mom says Kara is a grown woman. She knows what she wants and that's why she is marrying Guillermo, her son. Guillermo's mom tells him marriage is not a prison and that he and Kara have to mutually take care of each other. Guillermo's mom advises him that in every relationship, there are going to be things that you have to fix, but there are many things that make them both feel love, and those things are bigger than the things that make them fight. And now Guillermo feels better, and he is in the mood to get ready to go get married, and he feels like he can breathe again. To Jibri and Miona, they've got just 15 days to wed. They're playing cards when Jibri's dad interrupts to ask them to have a talk in the living room. Jibri says when his dad knocked on the door, he felt like he was 15 again getting grounded. It doesn't feel good. Miona says seeing Jibri's mom and dad there sitting next to each other, it feels like they're about to have a serious talk. Jibri's dad starts by telling Jibri and Miona they've been living there a few months and they want to talk about what the plans are for them to move out. Jibri asks if David is saying he is kicking them out. Jibri's mom says they talked about Jibri staying with them for a few months before Miona came to the US and they all talked about the end of the year after Miona and Jibri got married that that's when they would be moving out. Jibri says they agreed they could stay till the end of the year, so it's another whole full month left. Jibri and Miona are supposed to have at mommy and daddy's house. Mahala wants to firm up plans regarding when Jibri and Miona will move out. David, Jibri's dad, asks if Miona and Jibri will be getting married soon, and Jibri says he doesn't know yet. And then Jibri's dad asks when they are getting married, and Jibri doesn't know that either. Jibri says they need more time to figure stuff out. Jibri says his parents are on some bullshit. They aren't trying to help out. They aren't supportive. And Jibri says it's not what he expected. When Jibri says this, Miona has to hold back a huge smile and she struggles to contain it. And I think she is on cloud nine. Jibri is pissed at his parents, but Miona is trying to hide her emotions that she's on cloud nine. And I think she's holding back a smile and she's so happy because she complained of Jibri's parents' influence on him against her. So if Jibri's parents kick Jibri out, he probably thinks it will strain the relationship that Jibri has with his parents. And he will be less influenced by his parents who dislike her. And then it will be easier for her to control Jibri and get her away. In my opinion, that's what that smile was about. Plus, she would definitely get to move, and soon, which is what she wanted from day one, getting out of Rapid City. I think Jibri is behaving like a petulant ingrate. 
He's 28 years old. He's a grown ass man. He's almost 30. He has no roof of his own. He's mooching off of his parents with no job. His parents let him live there rent free. And they allow Miona to live there rent free. And now Jibri has the nerve to say they aren't supportive and they're on some bullshit. No, he's on some bullshit. He's a 28 year old man child and it's ridiculous. He's acting like an ungrateful baby and not like a man. He told his parents he would be out at a specific time. And now he's telling them he still has a month before the time he said. And he's pissed they want to hold him to his word. I'm sure Jibri's parents work hard to have that house and they would like it for themselves. Jibri is 28. He has the mentality of a 15 year old. And then he complains that his parents make him feel 15. He can sense his parents want him out. They've reached their limit and he's making sure he still gets the month he has left before the time he said he would leave. He's not acting like a man. Any other 28 year old man would have their own place or at least their own place with a roommate. I don't know any respectable 28 year old that lives at home with mommy and daddy and who is more than willing to overstay their welcome. It's embarrassing. I'd be ashamed if I was gibbery making sure I squeeze in that last month knowing my parents probably feel suffocated and they might prefer some space. Jibri doesn't seem to mind imposing on them, and he's 28. It should bother him to live with his parents, and he should be embarrassed to overstay his welcome. But he's not ashamed, and he's not embarrassed. Trying to make sure the fine print says he gets that last month in. That's not how a man acts, in my opinion. Look at David, his friend. David had a job. He seemed to be able to handle his finances and his life like an adult. He's the same age as Jibri, but Jibri seems like a 15-year-old freshman in high school, and David feels more like the way a 28-year-old man should act. In two years, Jibri will be 30, and that's a scary thought. He's lucky he has parents who are so caring and supportive. His mom was a bit much judging Miona's clothes, and she did judge Miona a little too harshly just based on her clothes and her appearance, but she does care about her son, and she allowed Miona in her home. And she graciously welcomed her son, wanting him to get on his feet. Here, Jibri is showing his gratitude and appreciation, saying his parents are on some bullshit. Maybe they should charge Miona and Jibri rent and electricity and gas and water and cable and internet bills for their stay since they are on so much bullshit. I feel like Jibri thinks he's entitled to staying at his parents' house and he is lucky, in my opinion, to have parents, let alone parents who love him and support him to the extent they do. Jibri tells Brian and Mahala it feels like they are trying to kick him out. Jibri's mom says this isn't personal. This is about plans or her or Jibri's dad not wanting him to be there or not wanting to be there for him. She reiterates that she and Jibri's dad have said over and over that they want to be at his wedding and they needed to know when so they could make plans. Jibri says that they didn't know when the K-1 visa would come through and they got the interview date a week before in the end of December so they didn't have time to plan anything. They didn't have 10 months of planning. David points out they had three months to plan something though. Jibri says they are still in those three months. Mahala doesn't want to argue about it. 
Dibri says, this is a slap in the face. Mahala disagrees. She doesn't think it's a slap in the face. Mahala explains to Dibri that he had plenty of time before Miona came to look for places to get married because he knew this was going to happen eventually. Mahala says they are following up with the plans for Miona and Dibri to be on their own and starting a married life in their own place at the end of the 90 days. Miona says for her it's good that Jibri's parents asked them to move out because that's exactly what she wanted and she needed something like this to happen so Jibri could realize that they need to leave his parents' house. But on the other hand, she feels sorry for Jibri. She isn't saying anything during the conversation with his parents because she doesn't know what to say. She feels horrible. She says she would never do that to her kid. Jibri says he expected a little help. At 28, he is a full-blown adult, and it's his wedding. David says they learned at an early age that they have to make very solid boundaries with Jibri for him to follow through with things. If there is any wavering, Jibri will take advantage of that. Mahala says Jibri is acting like they've all of a sudden decided to kick him out, but they've been talking about this for months, and this was the agreement. David tells Jibri this was his commitment, and regardless, they have till the end of the year. And Jibri says they will be out before then. He says he and Miona will pack their stuff because his parents don't want to help them with this, and they don't want Miona and Jibri there. David asks Mahala if they said that. And Mahala says they never said that. Jibri says he feels like he is 15 years old again. And David also feels like Jibri is being 15 again too with his behavior. Jibri gets up and he says the conversation is over. There is nothing else he needs to say. How about starting with thank you to his parents who are under no obligation to allow their almost 30-year-old son to live with them? David, Jibri's father, graciously lets Miona know if she ever wants to ask for help from him or from Mahala, they will be there for her. And I thought that was very sweet because they're not fond of Miona. They're not crazy about her, yet still they're willing to help her and they're willing to be gracious with her. And I thought that was a very classy thing to do. Next up are Eve and Muhammad. They meet for coffee with just 38 days to wed. Eve has a million things on her plate and she's juggling work and planning the wedding. So she's meeting Muhammad at the coffee shop today because she feels like she needs a break. Eve tells Muhammad she thinks it would be nice to get her squad back together since the wedding is right around the corner. She wants Muhammad to spend some time with them so everyone gets to know each other better. Eve says the squad had a tumultuous first meeting with Muhammad. Muhammad asks where the squad will be meeting and Eve lets Muhammad know it will be at the house. Eve gets how uncomfortable Muhammad was about how forward her friends were being with him during their first meeting. And from what Muhammad insinuated, he never wanted to see or talk to her friends ever again. That devastated Eve, and she doesn't want to lose any of the people in her life. So she hopes they can smooth things over. Eve suggests they do a fire ceremony to expose Muhammad to some of the healing work that she does. She wants to show Muhammad the rituals she does that mean a lot to her. She feels she is so open to learning about Muhammad's religion and she's going to the mosque and experiencing it. And this is her church. 
And Muhammad says if he doesn't feel comfortable around her friends, he doesn't get why Eve is pushing him to be around them. They're her friends, not his. Eve tells Muhammad she is asking him to do something that means a lot to her so she would appreciate Muhammad being more open. And Muhammad says he is open, that he doesn't like her friends. He's open about that. Eve says that's not being open. That was just one meeting. Muhammad says if they were in Egypt, he would never have these kind of friends be his fiance's friends. Well, guess what, Muhammad? You aren't in Egypt. You're in America. And in America, most women don't allow a man to decree who they can and cannot be friends with. The second a man starts criticizing your friends or saying he doesn't like them or that you're not allowed to hang out or things like that, I would run. That's a huge red flag. And it's a sign that they would love to control you and move you away from your support system to make it easier on them to do that. Muhammad says he would never share the same table with the squad anymore. He doesn't envision the squad at his wedding day. Muhammad reminds Eve that the squad was not very respectful to him. Eve asks Muhammad if he can think of her and how hard this is for her being stuck in the middle. Why is it so important to Eve that he likes her friends? Her friends don't like him, and rightfully so, I understand that. And he doesn't like them either. Why can't Eve just go hang with her friends on her own? Why do they have to approve of Muhammad, and why does Muhammad have to approve of them? He isn't going to change their minds, and they won't suddenly love him. I also don't foresee Muhammad having a change of heart about them. They pegged Muhammad right away, Eve's friends, for the type of man he was. And they were right, of course. Muhammad won't ever like them, and Eve's girlfriends will never like Muhammad and think he's a great catch. They see Muhammad for who he is. Eve is the only one living in a fantasy. Eve says her friends mean so much to her, and Muhammad means so much to her. Does she mean so much to him, or is it the green card that means so much to him, though? Eve says it's important to her to try and make things better between Muhammad and her friends. Eve isn't that close with her family, so she has built and created a new family with her friends, and that's why they are so important to her, because she doesn't have a sense of family anymore, so her friends are her family. Eve asks if Muhammad understands that on their special day, if people have ill feelings towards each other, it will break her heart. Muhammad wants to make it clear to Eve that he isn't going to allow any person to interrogate him anymore. Eve says she is asking Muhammad to experience something that she does with her friends. And Muhammad says it sounds crazy to him. Back to Kara and Guillermo, they have one day to wed, and he asks Kara how she is feeling. And Kara says they haven't talked since the fight at dinner, and there has been a lot of tension. Kara doesn't know how Guillermo feels about getting married now, and she wants to feel 100% confident going into her wedding day that Guillermo is committed to her and loves all of her the same way that she loves him. Guillermo apologizes to Kara for last night, he didn't mean for them to be fighting before their wedding. Kara says it made her very concerned. And Guillermo says he didn't mean to make Kara feel insecure or to make himself feel insecure. 
Kara feels like Guillermo doesn't know if he wants to spend the rest of his life with her, and they are about to sign off on it in a day. Guillermo says he just has some questions, and that's normal. Kara says to ask her for the wedding schedule is one thing, but to be questioning the whole relationship is a lot to be doing a day or two before the wedding. Kara wants to feel comfortable that Guillermo is going to show up at the wedding. Guillermo assures her he is going to show up. Kara thinks now that Guillermo has apologized, everything is resolved, she guesses. Kara is going to chalk it up to pre-wedding nerves and she is going to move on from it. Kara knows Guillermo is grieving and he is very emotional. But ultimately, Kara says she is who she is and Guillermo has to accept that. And Kara hopes he's accepted that. Shouldn't you know on your wedding day rather than hope that the person you marry accepts you for who you are as you are? Tonight, Kara is having a bachelorette celebration with her girls. Kara wants to relax with her friends and have a good time before her wedding. Guillermo tells Kara to try to control her drinking, and she doesn't guarantee it, but she will try. Kara's bachelorette party will be a pajama party at her house, and Kara says it's the best girls' night ever. Guillermo is relegated to the basement or the downstairs area during the bachelorette party. He isn't allowed to interrupt them. Kara tells her friends about the fight she had with Guillermo last night, and her friends ask, what worries Guillermo about her? And Kara mentions Guillermo wanting her to party less or drink less. And Kara says she felt like Guillermo was asking her to change who she is. Kara mentions she told Guillermo he really needs to think about if he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. Kara's friend says Kara is very assertive and she has always been like that. So she suggests Guillermo has to put his foot down when he needs to. But it's something both Kara and Guillermo have to work on. Kara feels like Guillermo is making her do an ultimatum. Like if she doesn't change, maybe he won't show up at the wedding. He never said that. One of Kara's friends asks where Guillermo is going to go if he doesn't marry her. And Kara says Guillermo has no clothes back home in Venezuela. Kara says she has always been who she is her whole life and she doesn't foresee it changing and she thinks Guillermo is up in arms right now because of the pressure of the wedding and so it's just weird and Kara hopes it simmers down after they get married. Next up are Kobe and Emily. Kobe, Emily and her family are going out to eat. Kobe and Emily have got just five days to wed. Emily has invited Temperature to get lunch and meet her family since Temperature is Kobe's best friend and he is going to be Kobe's best man. It's important to Emily that they all hit it off. Emily thinks it's important to know your fiance's friends because maybe she will get to see a different side of her husband that she doesn't know. Lisa, Emily's mom, says she, her husband, and Emily's sister are all excited to meet Temperature, and she thinks Kobe seems happier to see a familiar face and to be around someone who gets him. Emily's family is very hospitable and kind to Temperature. Emily's dad asks if Temperature and Kobe are from the same area in Cameroon, and they are. Temperature says he loves being in America. It's the place to be, but Kansas isn't the place to be. He says there's a big African community in Ohio. Emily jokes they don't have any of that in Salina. 
Emily orders the lasagna for Kobe because she knows Kobe likes lasagna. And Temperature mentions how Emily orders for Kobe at the table. Kobe says Emily wants to do almost everything. And Temperature says it's the first day he meets Emily and it's concerning to him the way Emily is treating Kobe. He thinks Emily and Kobe have been living the American lifestyle because Emily is the boss. Temperature says he told Kobe to stand up as a man and to start doing things the way they are supposed to be. The man is not supposed to be the boss of the woman in relationships. Relationships are not supposed to be about any partner bossing the other one or having control over the other one, regardless of their gender. It's not about control and it's not about power. It's about unconditional love and compromise and communication and respect. And both partners in a relationship having an equal voice. This guy temperature is disgusting and his mentality is disgusting. The way he thinks is disgusting and he has a very toxic notion of masculinity. And I know it's cultural, but women should have equal say to the man in their relationships. A man has no right to find it acceptable to boss or control a woman. And it, just because it's done in a certain culture, it doesn't mean that's the right way to do things. It may be all the person knows, but it doesn't necessarily make it right. Emily jokes she may have to freak out on him because the baby got a hold of something at the table. And everyone is laughing at Emily, but temperature looks constipated, like he's been backed up for months with the frustrated face he is making about the bossy American woman. If temperature doesn't appreciate America and the culture here and the fact that women have freedom and independence and voices that matter in their marriages, then why is temperature here in America? He wants the opportunity, but he has to knock the culture and behave as though his culture is the only way that is the right way and as if his culture is superior to the American culture. Temperature is acting as if it's completely absurd for a woman's voice to matter as much as a man's voice in a marriage or for a man not to be controlling of their woman. Temperature says it would be his pleasure to see Kobe and Emily together. But he believes the key is to teach Emily, the wife, what she's supposed to do. Get the fuck out. He's basically saying Kobe needs to teach Emily he is the man. He is in charge. And she needs to learn her place. And that's beneath Kobe, according to Temperature's fucked up way of thinking. Fuck that. That is such backwards thinking as if Emily is an animal that needs training to learn to be subservient and to learn to be controlled. This guy temperature is sick. He needs help. And if he thinks it's okay for a man to control their woman, no way. I think strong, independent women scare this man shitless and he doesn't have the balls or the fortitude to deal with a strong, educated, independent woman who will not be controlled, who demands and knows she deserves an equal voice to her husband's. Temperature intervenes and he tells Emily he isn't married yet, but what he knows is African men need a lot of respect from their ladies. And Emily says she gives Kobe respect. And Temperature asks Emily, do you think so? Emily responds, of course. Temperature asks Emily if she knows that Kobe is from a royal family. Who gives a fuck what family Kobe is from, royals or not? 
no matter what country you're in and no matter how high up in the uh, status order you are, having royalty and that kind of lineage, that type of thinking is so antiquated and old and dried up, it doesn't even matter. I doubt anyone cares what family Kobe is from. He is just a person, just like anyone else. Kobe isn't above anyone just because he supposedly comes from a royal family. That's such utter bullshit. If I was Emily, just with the question of if I am sure I respect my fiancé when he questioned you really, by temperature the friend, I'd be done with the conversation asking the asshole what right he had to question me and I'd be asking him to leave the lunch at that point. Kobe clarifies he isn't a prince, but his dad is from the royal family. Emily's dad is like, what the hell? Emily is shocked, asking, what? She's confused. Emily says this is huge news and Emily is wondering if they have a castle in Cameroon. Kobe explains in Cameroon there are 200-something tribes and all the tribes have chiefs and the chiefs are all from the royal family. Kobe doesn't see himself being a chief one day. Kobe is far away from that line of succession and he chooses his own path. Emily thought she knew Kobe pretty well until the secret came out. Emily wonders why Kobe wouldn't have told her about this. She says she would have told Kobe if it were her in the two years. They have been talking every day. Kobe explains he isn't literally royalty himself, although his father was a chief. And Temperature makes clear he is trying to make Emily understand that Kobe has the final say. At this, Emily's dad glares at Temperature and he looks at him like he will snap him like a twig. Temperature is being very classless and bold and rude. And he tells this to Emily in front of her dad and in front of her family. And he tells Emily she is getting married to an African, not an American. So the man is the head of the family, meaning Emily belongs to Kobe. He literally said that, that Emily, the wife, belongs to the husband. Emily would belong to Kobe. Emily's family is flabbergasted, of course. There is an awkward silence. And then Emily's dad jokes that he thinks there's a reason Temperature is not married. And I would have to agree. Emily's sister says hearing Temperature talk about where Kobe comes from has been eye-opening because Kobe never expressed the things Temperature was saying on this level. Emily's dad says Emily is very much independent and strong-willed so talking about the man being the king in the castle isn't going to happen with Emily. And Emily's mom clarifies to Temperature that Emily is marrying an African man, but he is marrying an American woman. So both Emily and Kobe have things they're going to have to work out. And Temperature says he is saying all this because he got to the U.S. before Kobe, so he knows how things work when it comes to American ladies being controlling in relationships. Emily's sister says she doesn't think that's a fair thing to say and to generalize, and I agree. She says temperature wouldn't say that about a man, and temperature is saying American women come off as controlling and it's not okay, and thankfully someone is going for temperature. I would have kicked him out of the lunch when he asked Emily if she felt she was respecting Kobe. Temperature tells Emily's sister he totally disagrees with her, because in America, the lady is above the man. 
So Temperature explains he is trying to make Emily understand that before going to sign the marriage license, she shouldn't expect things will be the way they used to be with her above Kobe as the leader anymore. Emily hates that Temperature is trying to tell her that men are the boss in the relationship, and me too. What Temperature did was rude and disrespectful to all women, to Americans, to American women, to American culture, to Emily, and to Emily's family as well. I would be asking Temperature to respectfully get the fuck out. He's a total loser in my book, and that attitude towards women is disgusting. He has no right to spout his garbage or to insert himself in Emily's relationship between Emily and Kobe alone. He is putting himself in a place that's not even his place. He's dictating to Emily how it will be. And who the fuck is he? He probably has a small dick and he was probably rejected by women over and over because of his sick, toxic mindset regarding women and relationships and gender roles and he probably feels very bitter and resentful. And the only action temperature gets is with his hand. I can't stand temperature at all and I can't stand the way he thinks or the way he felt it was his place to interfere in Kobe and Emily's relationship was incredibly disrespectful and classless of temperature to disrespect Emily and her family and women like that. What an incel loser. He's afraid of strong women who are intelligent and independent because he knows he isn't good enough and he probably has low self-esteem and is very insecure and he has a notion in his head that being a man means being toxic and controlling and domineering over a woman to make up for his insecurity most likely. So he probably prefers a weak woman he can control and make subservient to him and dominate just to feel better about himself. That's my read on temperature. I don't like him at all, maybe even less than Muhammad, and I never thought I'd say that. Emily says they're in America, and that's not how it works, honey. But at the same time, Kobe has shown some of this mentality in the past when he told Emily to fuck off in the barn. Emily is really worried, wondering if she will see more of this after she and Kobe get married. Emily wonders, is Kobe going to change and try to take control of everything? Emily asks Kobe if he agrees with everything Temperature is saying right now. And Kobe says, Temperature said some things that were right. He says it's true they are from Africa where the man is always on top in the relationship. Kobe says if there is respect in the relationship, and communication and everybody has a role to play, it's equal, but the man is still always on top. Next up are Eve and Muhammad. They've got just 38 days to wed and Eve and Muhammad are preparing for the fire ceremony with her friends. Fire ceremonies are used in Native American cultures to cleanse and purify and to let go of things that have been difficult or hard. And there's a lot of negative energy going on between Muhammad and Eve's friends. So Eve is hoping the fire ceremony will bring more positive vibes between everyone. Eve hopes Muhammad is open to experiencing something new. Eve tells Muhammad she wants him and her friends to turn a new leaf. 
so her friends and Muhammad can all understand why she cares about them so much. Muhammad unenthusiastically says, okay, he says he will be nice if they are nice to him, but if he feels judged or attacked by any of Eve's friends, he will defend himself. One of Eve's friends is worried because although she wants the best for Eve and Muhammad, Eve's friends are all worried because they don't know how committed Muhammad really is. Muhammad is watching the fire ceremony and he says he doesn't know what they are doing. Muhammad is just watching and he felt like he was in a movie. Muhammad isn't okay with Eve's beliefs and he wonders if we wish something, why don't we ask God? rather than doing a fire ceremony. And Muhammad says, fire has nothing to do with wishes. And he says, if that's how Eve and her friends practice their spirituality, it goes against his beliefs. Muhammad says Eve should know that's not the best way to get him closer with her friends. Tatiana mentions that she was worried for a second because she thought Muhammad didn't like Eve's friends anymore. Muhammad has a big smile on his face and he tells Tatiana, yeah, that's right. With the biggest smile I've ever seen Muhammad give on the show so far. Tatiana asks, you didn't like us? And Muhammad says, no, with a huge smile on his face. At least he's honest. Eve's other friend asks Muhammad, you still don't like us? Muhammad says he felt judged and that's why he was mad at every one of Eve's friends. Tatiana asks Muhammad if he understands that they are just looking out for Eve and making sure that Eve is okay because they don't know him. Muhammad says the way she was asking him the questions at that first meeting, it was like an investigation and she could have asked the same questions with a different energy. Eve asks everyone to not fight, please. Tatiana says Muhammad needs to understand that no one is here to purposely insult him or upset him in any way. They're all just doing their due diligence as Eve's family and friends, and Tatiana thinks Muhammad would do the same for anyone he cared for. Tatiana asks Muhammad what he thought about the fire ceremony. Muhammad says he never experienced it before. He enjoyed it. It kept him warm, so the fire was good for him. But everything else was too weird for him, he says. Eve says it's frustrating that Muhammad isn't open to what's important to her because Eve feels like she has done a lot to make compromises and respect Muhammad's beliefs. And if Muhammad chooses not to compromise for her, it makes Eve question if this connection is worthy of them taking this final step and proceeding with getting married. Next up are Patrick and Thais. Patrick is in the garage with John still as he waits for Thais to be done with the FaceTime call with her dad. Her dad tells Thais he would think twice about getting married. John says it's not a good sign if Thais and her dad have been talking for this long. John is glad regardless that Thais said something to her dad because otherwise it would have been fucked up. Patrick says at least Thais's dad knows about them getting married, but he's nervous to see how the conversation went. Patrick thinks Thais's dad should be happy that his daughter is happy and that she found someone that loves her just as much as he does and someone that wants to take care of Thais just like her father does for forever. Thais gets Patrick 
And she says telling her dad the truth really affects her because she felt differently. And she started wondering if she is making the right decision marrying Patrick. There has never been a situation where she hasn't followed her dad's advice. She's confused. Thais tells Patrick the truth is her dad doesn't want them to get married. He told Thais she should go back to Brazil. She tells Patrick her dad doesn't believe he is good for her. He doesn't like Patrick. Patrick asks Thais if she defended him and if she said good things about him. And Thais says she did say good things. Patrick thought this whole time Thais's dad liked him. And he asks how he can make her dad feel better about him weeks before the wedding. Thais tells Patrick she warned him about this. Patrick says Thais's father's rejection was a gut shot. He wasn't prepared for this. And this is worse than what Patrick thought it would ever be. He never thought Thais's dad would tell her to go back to Brazil, ever. That thought never crossed Patrick's mind. Thais tells Patrick when her dad told her to go back, she was thinking about it and she was scared because she's nervous. Patrick asks Thais, how she feels now. He asks if she feels like staying or if she feels like going back to Brazil. And Thais doesn't know. She's crying. Thais says there's a part of her that really wants to go back to Brazil, but she doesn't want to break Patrick's heart. She has to tell Patrick the truth, and it's really hard. Thais tells Patrick if she goes back to Brazil, he will be upset. She's in tears, and she asks, if Patrick will get mad if she goes back. Patrick tells Thais if she goes back to Brazil, things will be over between them. And Thais knows that, but she misses her family. She misses her dad. She misses her life in Brazil. Patrick doesn't know how to feel. He doesn't know if he wants to be mad. He doesn't know if he wants to console Thais. Patrick says this is the first time he has ever seen Thais cry since they have been together. So to see her cry terrifies Patrick. He's scared that Thais is going to decide to stick with her dad and go home. Patrick tells Thais he knows it's very hard right now, but he wants her to stay with him. Patrick says he can't imagine his life without her, and he says he would do anything to be with her. Next time on 90 Day Fiance, Miona and Jibri leave his parents' house. Jibri says it's hard for him to say goodbye to his mom, but sometimes there is love lost when you are marrying a significant other that your parent doesn't approve of. Mahala says, when we act impulsively, there are consequences. Shida says, she and Bilal have been bickering and fighting, so she is looking for some advice. She has Bilal's mom over and she says, when you marry, you don't look at your partner like a suspect. And Bilal's mom tells Shida marriage is not perfect. She tells Shida to figure out how to make it work. And Shida starts crying during the talk with Bilal's mom. We'll see over what next week. It's Kara and Guillermo's wedding day. She is getting her hair and makeup done and she says she definitely needs champagne before she goes to the wedding. She needs to get her buzz on. Uncle Mike is helping Guillermo with his boutonniere and he asks Guillermo if he is nervous and Guillermo's hands are sweaty and his heart is pounding before the wedding. 
Muhammad FaceTimes his mom and he doesn't know if he should stay in America and he needs his mom's advice. His mom asks how it's going with Muhammad and Eve and Muhammad tells his mom there's a cultural difference as she knows. Temperature tells Emily she and Kobe need to be in a new environment since they're building a new family with their two kids. Colby wasn't supposed to spill that Emily was pregnant, and Temperature just opened his big fat mouth, and Emily isn't happy. Emily says she was very clear with Colby that no one should know about the pregnancy. Emily asks Colby in shock, you told him? And Colby says Temperature is his friend as a justification. And Emily asks Colby, why the fuck would you do that? And she walks out. Thais gets her suitcase out of the closet and she starts packing. Patrick says, seeing Thais cry after talking to her dad, she could just pack her bags and she's gone. Thais says she has been confused, sad, and missing her dad and Brazil, and she doesn't know if she will ever return to Dallas. And we see Thais take off in an airplane. That does it for this episode of 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. To my YouTube viewers, please like and subscribe. And if you like, let me know your thoughts down below in the comments section. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.